Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's the Jim Fannin Show. We've come to take your mind. Am I still on? Blocker is my guest today. I'll tell you about how I met him in the interview. I got him for about an hour and a half. Buckle in. Welcome aboard. That open was done by a friend of mine in Niagara. He made it part of it when I was sitting with him, and then he got the band, just unmute yourself there, Mike, he got the band to um, do that full intro for me, and I own that bad boy. Like, I don't have to worry about copyrights or anything like that, so thanks to Jay Beatty and the crew, I don't usually out my sources because, well, sometimes they, well, Jay Beatty doesn't really mind being associated with Jim Fannin, so I appreciate that. Mike Blocker, welcome to the show, man. Good job. You're welcome. That 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 intro was really hot. It you actually inspired me. I was like, I gotta get some think music. So that was hot. I can yeah. help you with that. I met a guy at the bar the other night. I haven't reconnected with him, but he said he's gonna get with me. Uh, and that's all he does is write music. So before we all get right. to who Mike Blocker is, I want to put this to you. Answer. Finish. Uh, complete this this sentence. The possibility that I've invented for myself in my life is the possibility of. Am I to do that or your audience? You're, you're finishing it. <laughs> oh, my so audience me, doesn't know what the hell that means. We're going to get into that. So, so yeah. I got it. The possibilities that I'm inventing for myself in my life is the possibility of greatness, magnanimous life to um, just to transform as many people as I possibly can. That's that's my possibility. That's wow. what I'm here for. Well, yeah. I would encourage you to hone that down to a way of being. Okay. Greatness. The possibility of greatness mm-hmm. under all circumstances. Okay. Now, for me, that script comes straight from the Landmark Forum, and they do speak a little bit of a different language for those that aren't educated in the technology. You know, they use words that have different meanings than we use them in normal in real life. And it took me months to get a possibility that fired me up. And I was all bummed out. It was like, I remember watching uh, 
city slickers and being bummed out that I couldn't remember the best day of my life because I've never been married. I've never had children, you know, and that's usually where the most people fall to as far as the happiest day or the best day of their life. And it took me months to get with that. And similarly, it took me months to figure out what my possibility, like I need a whole and complete. Yeah, that was there immediately, but it didn't fire me up. And it took me months. And I remember exactly where I was when the, when I popped, as they say in Landmark. I was going under the QEW on Welland Avenue, headed east or whatever way that is. And it hit me. And I went inspiring, powerful leadership in, in verbs wow. and actions and nouns. And like you, inspiring, powerful leadership can, you know, if you use the words in different contexts, but it all comes out the same. And I'm like, that is it. Now, I'm not the greatest at sticking to my possibility and living it every day when I wake up because life beats you down and stuff. And so while we're on that kind of thread, what's your act? I think that comes from the advanced course. Well, my act is you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And mine was, it doesn't matter and I don't care. You can see how powerfully that gets you off responsibility. It doesn't matter and I don't care, which is such a lie and I think that's what your act is, is a self-created lie that you live. And I think, I think you're like me in the stand, from the standpoint that you love people and you love getting inside their head and figuring out what, they, what makes them tick. And because we have this, this training in Landmark Forum or the Landmark Education, as they call it now, I'm, I finished the curriculum, took the forum twice, once with my, at the time, girlfriend. And, you know, sadly, she got nothing from it like really nothing. I don't think anything that she will carry forward, but it changed my life. And I realized that I'm good at recognizing other people's act and other people's lie, especially people that I know well. And I'll go, you know, I think they use the analogy in Landmark. It's like, you know, your free beer here or cold beer here. You get the tray and you're selling your act. You're like, I am this. And your good friends will, you know, 90% of your friends will go, oh yeah, that's too bad. And they'll reinforce your lie. And your good friends will go, That's, don't bring that shit around here. I'm not buying that beer. That beer's a lie. And here's why. I'm going to give you a hundred instances of why it's a lie. So I become really good at calling people, even if I don't know them that well on, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't believe you. And if I, if I told people that cared and could see through my mask, when I said it doesn't matter and I don't care, they'd go, uh, yeah, you do care. Because I do care deeply and everything matters. You know, or I wouldn't be doing this right here. So anyways, your thoughts on that. And then I'd like you to introduce yourself and get into, um, you know, where you came from, so, all that kind of stuff. My thoughts on that is this. We all have what, what we call in the, in the coaching world, we call tap root conversations, right? And your tap root conversation is like, what's the root disempowering conversation you have, right? And what I found out through coaching and, and being in the personal development world is that everyone's taproot conversation comes down to avoiding responsibility every time it's always somewhere we are avoiding being responsible for something so when you said about your act allows you to not be responsible it's the same way with mine and uh, for example you can't tell me what to do easily allows me to not be responsible for something so i just wanted to put that out there that so much as a matter of fact i even take it to a bigger conversation so much of what is at the source of a lot of the breakdowns that we have in the world 
you could connect it to people not wanting to be responsible, you know? And then we, we, when we don't want to be responsible, we make excuses, justifications, we blame other people, we have distractions. There's a whole network of things we do all to avoid responsibility, which diminishes our power because, you know, with great responsibility comes great power. So um, there's that. And then to introduce myself, hello, young world. I, I often refer to, that's my uh, tagline. I intro all my videos. Young with, world, with, hey, interesting. Young world. Okay. Hey, young world, because I think humanity is still in its infancy. You know, we have been here a little over 3 million years. The dinosaurs were here 95 million, okay? So when you compare us to them, you go, well, or this is the planet. You're like, humanity's still young. And I see a lot of young conversations that still exist. To me, war is a young conversation. If you look at our current situation, there's a, there's a war that's, you know, being displayed throughout the world on social media. And that's a young, war is a young conversation. So I refer to us as a young world. Hello, young world. So I'm Mike Blocker. I am a life coach. And I call myself your best life coach. So I support my clients with creating or generating their best life now, right now in this moment, not someday, not later, but right now. And I also am a relationship coach. And when I say relationships, I don't just mean romantic relationships. I just mean relationships in general, because life is nothing but a series of relationships. That's all it is from one relationship to the next, starting with the relationship with yourself, your relationship with your parents. And then moving on, relationship with siblings, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, and so forth. It's just a series of relationships. So I made a commitment many years ago to master relationships. So I support my clients in getting clear on what their goal in life is, right? And then once, once they know their goal, their life purpose, then I support them with creating a structure that will allow them to live their best life now aligned with whatever their goal is. And then as far as the dating go, dating coaching, I support individuals who want to get in relationships. I support individuals who are already in relationships on um, basically how to cultivate and manage healthy relationships. And I recently started coaching around, um, um, uh, what's the word, alternative uh, uh, relationships, for example, open relationships, you know, uh, polyamory. That's that's a world that I have been playing in personally. And I had a few people come to me and request coaching for that. So that's a little bit about me. I was also a DJ for over 30 years doing corporate and uh, weddings. Mostly I've DJed over 200 weddings and I've done hundreds of corporate events as a DJ. And in my early days, I was a club DJ doing house music. And I also was a freelance audiovisual technician for over 25 years. And I did conferences, meetings, uh, conventions, and all that type of stuff on a corporate level. And I did that for many, many years. So I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was 24 is when I quit my, that was the last time I had a full-time job at the age of 24. And I've been working for myself. And then the coaching is my dream job to coach and to speak. I'm working on a book right now. And that's, you know, I have a lot of things that I'm creating a lot of programs and I'm just here to have an amazing life and to support as many people as possible doing the same thing. So that's, that's who I am and that's what I'm about. And that's what I'm up to. Cool, man. Um, I don't know why you just entered the room again, but uh, 
It says Mike Blocker just entered the waiting room. All right. Well, oh, because I was logging in on a backup machine. Okay, no problem. So I don't need and that. And it was taking some time. So that's no why. Uh, give me your thoughts on, and I have no um, reluctance to, well, I, I, did, I guess I do have a reluctance to practice alternative lifestyles because I'm more a traditional guy. I like having a solid girlfriend and staying loyal to them and building a life. Give me your thoughts on whether or not, you know, these alternative lifestyles are kind of removing the foundations of a, the society that's been very successful for many, many years, like polyamorous, I mean, you know, pansexual. I hear some parents describing their 16-year-old children as pansexual. I'd, I'd rather, man, I, I like the idea that wait till you get married to have sex, dude. Like, I mean, tell me your thoughts on that. Well, my first question would be to ask you what's the criteria that you assess that the nuclear family the ideal to traditional model has been successful because i question i question the success of that uh from my observation uh specifically in america because that's where i'm the most vetted uh we have over a 50 percent divorce rate over a 72 percent infidelity rate in marriages and when I talk to married couples, very few of them are really happy. And they profess to me or confess to me, I mean, that they stay in their relationships mostly for convenience, obligation, or fear of being, you know, ostracized or, or judged for choosing something different. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to coach people around relationships, because I saw so many people who were discontent. They weren't happy. So from my perspective, I would say the traditional monogamous nuclear family type relationship hasn't been very successful. So I'm going to just give you one, one quick example of something that really blew my mind that made me look at things differently. I was reading a book called Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan. If you've never read it, great book, excellent, highly recommend it. And it's about an anthropological approach to the evolution of human sexuality. Well, in it, one of the stories that he shares is about a uh, indigenous culture where they did not have a monogamous uh, uh, um, um, basis. And so the women had just as much freedom to, to be, you know, promiscuous as men did. So whenever a woman wanted to, you know, impregnate herself and have a child, she would pick the top men of the tribe, the best hunter, the smartest guy, the best blacksmith, or like she would pick the top men and she would go out and have sex with say all 10 of them, right? We're just still doing that today. Yeah, and she would do that and then she would get pregnant and she would have the baby and all 10 of them believed that they could be the father. So they all took part in raising this child, right? And I thought, man, that's awesome. So I thought about my life and I'm like, hey, I had one dad and he wasn't really the best dad. You know, he had some, you know, mental challenges and some abuse, you know, addictions. And he wasn't around a lot and didn't support me a lot. And that impacted me. But I was imagining after I read this story, what would it be like to have 10 fathers, right? I thought if I had 10 dads, I'm pretty sure half of them would be decent, would be around and, you know, whatever, whatever, come to my ball game, take care of me. I would get like five Christmas gifts. So 
I was thinking, I would be okay with having 10 dads. That wouldn't work for me. And, you know, so, but in our society, if you were to say something, people are like, oh my God, how could that be? You know, I don't know. I mean, it takes a village, you know, if you can't get it from one, you get it from another. So, so I'm open to alternative ways of, of living and, 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 and having a new family structure, a new relationship, because you never know. You never know. There's been many things. I'm going to tell a quick story. You say I got the time. When I was like eight years old, I had some pineapple, right? It was like maybe the first time or seven. And I was like, wow, this is horrible. It's nasty. I hate pineapple. I'm never going to eat pineapple again, right? Kid you not. I wouldn't touch pineapple. For over 30 years, so I'm DJing this 18th birthday party at the hotel, and I, I put on a long song, and I go to the buffet, and a security guard, he's sitting there, you know, being all big macho security guard, muscle man, and he says, yo, bruh, that pineapple's hitting. You got to check that pineapple. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't eat pineapple. But I had been in Landmark. I was in IOP at the time, so I was open to transforming things and trying things. So I said, you know what? I haven't had pineapple in 30 years. I'm going to try some pineapple today. So I get three little pieces and I take it back and I'm over there in my DJ station and I turn my back to the to the crowd because I wanted to eat this pineapple. But if I had to frown and spit it out, I didn't want them to see. I put the pineapple in my mouth and I'm like, I'm like oh my God, this is good. I went back and piled the plate up for pineapple, <laughs> man. And I ate pineapple. I ate, I ate like a whole pineapple that night. Yeah. But when I got home, I thought to myself, where did I get this conversation of hate pineapples? I had one, I had one bad experience with pineapples and who knows? It could have been cause I just brushed my teeth. It could have been my palate was off. I had a coke. It could have been some other, it could have been, that was just a bad pineapple. Well, everyone knows your but, taste buds change over time too. I mean, I didn't like sour yeah. cream for a long time and now I love it. So, yeah. but I made a decision about pineapples and I lived into it for over 30 years, mm -hmm. never giving pineapples a chance. Mm -hmm. Nope. I don't do pineapples. Nope. And so I tell this story to my clients to say, what have you made a decision about when you were young Powerful. that you have stuck with for your entire life? Amen. Never, ever getting that. That's just one experience. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that your entire life should be tainted or colored by that one experience. Mm -hmm. But yet people do that. We have one bad experience with something and we go, I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing this again. I'm never. So I, this, this is where I'm going is. Why not try an alternate relationship or an alternate? You never know. It may be like your pineapple. You may say, I'm never going to do that. So and Mikey, let me, let me jump in there. It. Let me jump in there because I really appreciate this conversation because you and I don't think the same, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian guy. You know, I'm not good at my faith. I fail all the time, um, but it's there. I was born Christian and I grew up Catholic and didn't really like it. Now I've got a church and a support group and a men's group, and I kind of feel like I'm the kindergarten guy because I don't read the Bible that well. I don't understand it. I think it's arrogant for any human to profess to understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested in your thoughts on, you know, here's, uh, you can just debate back and forth with me if you want. The traditional family has worked for a millennia, and still today, the most optimum the most optimal 
place for children to be is with a mother and a father. There's no doubt about that because we took the father out of the home and we've seen what happened. You touched on a bunch of uh, some stats. I'll give you a stat. 85% of black kids in America are fatherlessness, are fatherless. And that is destroyed our kids. I'm all for having mentors and elders and the idea of five fathers and women still pick the strongest and smartest man to mate with. I just feel like relationships are deeply difficult to stay with someone your whole life. But we've made divorce so easy. We 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 financed the the black father out of the home with welfare basically because we said you can't get welfare if there's a if there's a man in the house so subsequently in the 60s with the welfare structure in the states men just aren't in the homes because women can't get welfare with the man in the home and it's destroyed us and we've also killed god you know nietzsche said uh, god is dead and the next century is going to be the most the bloodiest century of our time we're living it right now and i think that you know, whether you believe in God or not, I mean, the church was source of welfare and source of the universities and source of, you know, good Christian values of like, yeah, stay together. It's tough. You need to get through it. It's it's almost impossible to stay with someone for the rest of your life. But it's we've made it so easy to jump out of that relationship. And I think society's really paid for it. Like, again, the most beneficial structure for children is to have a man and a woman in the home that's the traditional nuclear family i know many people think that's sexist and we've long gone past this but i think the more we stretch out and say girls can become boys and it's okay to be polyamorous or pansexual or whatnot or you you know you can change your sex just by identifying differently i think is really having harmful effects on our society and we've we've seen that so for a millennia the traditional family has worked and now since only over the last 40 years have we really experimented with the idea that nah you don't need to have you don't need to be married to have a kid and and women are having children way later in life and and when the idea that they can do it with another woman you know or two men can do it as well as a man and a wife it's not true man and we're paying the price for it so i just compare that to for a millennia the traditional nuclear family worked very well, and it's only been the last 40 or 50 years where it's been tearing us apart, I think. So your thoughts on that? Well, okay, that's a lot. So so let me go to the beginning. The word universe is uni, which means one, and verse means song, okay? One song. So there is one song, that's it. Whether you acknowledge it or not, and I believe there's but one God. There's only one source that the thing that some people call God, and it's 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 called many names, Allah, and you know, the force and different things, but it's all the same thing. We just call it by some different name. So there's only one source that generated everything that we have here. So my personal belief is, here's the analogy that I use. If you ever had a cat or a dog, right? Your pet lays on your carpet at your house. And it shits on the carpet. Excuse me, I'm going to call. It shits on the carpet, pees on the carpet, plays on the carpet. Your dog is on that carpet every day doing it. But it has no idea or the concept that this is a carpet, that this carpet was made by Mohawk in a factory in Dalton, Tennessee, and that it's, that it's fire retardant. And that it has no idea of all the intricacies about the carpet, yet its whole world is related and connected to this carpet every day, right? That's how I believe our relationship with God is. It's right there. It's right there. 
but we have very little knowledge and understanding and comprehension of it. We know it's there. We might see the car like the carpet a little bit, but we really don't know. So we start to make up stuff. We're meaning making machines. You get that? Amen. So we make up stuff about God. We make up stories. And I, my favorite was he was a jealous God and he's an angry God because I was brought Christian. And I remember reading that going. Jealousy is a sin. How, how can God be sinful? He's supposed to be perfect, and jealousy is a sin. But uh, you know, why would you be jealous? Why would you be mad because these little people don't worship you when you make universes? That's a human trait that we put on God. I'm like, God doesn't. Really care. I'm not going to be upset because ants don't praise me. I'm not even going to think about them. So, so anyway, just wanted to say that. So, so my belief in God, I, I do believe there's a source. And I'm, I'm more leaning towards a spiritual approach because I think the God concept has been so corrupted by man because we've gone in there and we've manipulated for personal interest. You know, like when I look at the things that we say to God, you know, and I, I was brought up in the church and I was I was going to church. And I'm like, these people don't I'm I'm more godly than the people that have been in church 20, 30 years. Right. So there's that now to address the the family structure and, and, and how I feel about that. Okay, the nuclear family, you are correct. For a millennia or so, the nuclear family has been the dominant structure of, of around the world in which most families are based. And it has been effective. And I agree with you, a two parent home is way more effective than a single parent home. There's no doubt every, every statistic I've ever read agrees with that. Okay, and that is part of the purpose for even having the nuclear family, because we know that it's the best way to um, raise children. Okay, so I agree with that. Now, as far as the marriage aspect of it goes, though, marriage didn't become the dominant uh, uh, choice until economics, until after the agricultural revolution. Okay, because when men, when people started to hoard and started to collect and, and own their own, when we went from a communal, when we were on a communal basis of tribal, we were communal with our women as well. We shared it. It was when, you know, people were open. But then when wealth came, when property, when ownership kicked in, then men, because it was a patriarchal concept, men were like, hey, I own all this stuff. I have this wealth, I have this property. I want to make sure my progeny receives it. I don't want some other man's child to receive my wealth. So therefore, I want to own or possess or marry my woman so that she's legally bound to me. And now she's legally bound to me. And back then, men had ownership. Literally, you literally owned your wife. She was like a possession of property. When marriage originated, had nothing to do with the white dress or the big man. Had nothing to do with that. It was about property. Okay. So many, so many things in our world are economic based. I'm not going to get into this, but slavery, if you look at it, it was economic based. It had nothing to do with race. It was all about money. So marriage was an economic based decision. And then, and if you also took it from a historical approach, Christianity, this is my opinion. Some people might not like it when I say this. Christianity was not the original um dominant religion on the planet. Before Christianity, you had Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, Islam, they were all around before Christianity came. 
and a lot of the tenets and beliefs of Christianity actually come from these other religions. The people who created Christianity studied these other religions and they took pieces from it, piecemeal from paganism and so forth. Right. And they created And all the other religions share stories about the flood and about Adam and Eve. Yes, and some all of them. All of those things were similar. Stories. And they were around before Christianity, right? So, so Christianity, when the Christians went around the world, they basically, their process was they sent in their missionaries first. Anywhere they went, they sent the missionaries in to talk to the indigenous people and introduce them to their God. Shortly after that, the the um, conquistadors showed up. The guys with the swords and the guns showed up. The missionaries would come and soften you up, and then the military would come behind them and go, okay, you know our God. Either you practice what we believe or we're going to introduce you to this sword or this, this gunpowder. So basically, they kind of forced their beliefs on a lot of cultures is either you believe what we believe or you're going to die. And so under that duress, anything is going to flourish because people want to live. I want you to think about this, Jim. What animal do you think is the best animal to domesticate? Well, we've domesticated so many, but what in what capacity? I mean, we've domesticated which animals. animal? If you if you could domesticate any animal on the planet, which animal would benefit you the most by domesticating them? Hmm. I don't know, man. Nothing immediately comes to mind. Listen, bro, can is there any way you can shut down WhatsApp to get rid of those clicks? Okay. Yeah. yeah Sorry. No problem. It's just you're a busy man, and uh, yeah, I'll cut it off right now. You, so I'll go ahead and answer the question yeah, for you. Thank you. The answer is the human. The human is the best animal to domesticate. Because if I went to a chicken and put a gun to his head and said, produce more eggs, the chicken's not going to comply. Right. If I went to a cow, said, produce more milk, it's not. Mm -hmm. But I if think, I go to I a human think, and I say, you pay more taxes, that human's going to do it. Yeah, I think the flaw, if I can refer to it that way, is that we don't normally think of humans as animals yes we are animals but that's not when you say domesticate an animal i'm not humans not even in the realm of possibility for me there but you're right ah well we are animals and in my opinion this is my opinion america is a tax farm we live on a tax farm and we are the animals and we've been domesticated to pay taxes for the rulers of our society and it's a big the tax elites are squandering our finances man they're not protecting it's, us they're not using our money in good form and they're, they're, it's not, a big tax they're not giving us so, medicare and securing our borders they're just giving the money to their friends basically the elite benefit from the yes. the commoners so so going back I'm, I'm full circling going back to to answer your question so because of this domestication because of this programming we have been programmed to believe that the nuclear family is the best structure because it supports the consumer-based corporate agenda, okay? Because this has also statistically been proving married families buy in to the American dream more than any other group of people because they're going to buy the house because they have to raise their kids. They're going to buy the house and get settled down. They're going to go to college. They're going to pay the tax. They're going to, they play the game more. So, the, the powers that be says, hmm, the people who participated in this nuclear family play our game more. So we want to promote this. We're going to give tax breaks to these people. We're going to promote this ideology because it works best for the world that we're trying to create. Because if people have 
freedom and have choice to do, they're going to do whatever they want to do. If you if you study, if you look up the Council of Nicaea, when Constant, Constantine wanted to revamp the church in Europe, at that time, there was over 300 different religions or even more in Europe. And these different religions started saying, we don't want to pay tax to the church because we're going to do our own thing. So his tax dollar was going down. So he was like, okay, I'm losing money here. How can I get this money back? So he had the Council of Nicaea where he called all the leaders of all these different religious sects together. And he put his proposal for one church to rewrite the Bible. And all those agreed with him. He said, okay, you guys that agree, go in this room. Everybody that disagreed, go in this room. And everybody that disagreed with him, he cut their heads off. And they went back in and said, now let's retake the vote. But they had nothing to do. He didn't revamp the church because he believed in God. It was about tax dollars. So if you, if you look over time, you can see always the major decisions in society are always made from an economic standpoint. Even the, the thing you were talking about, about the welfare system where we finance the man out of the house, there was still an economic basis behind that because whenever you have a subordinate group of people, you have to have an insubordinate group. You know, America was built upon the backs of other people. That's the way corporate corporations work. They always have to have a subordinate group to support. Everybody can't be rich. So our society in America specifically that I'm very, you know, vetted on is set up to maintain a subordinate group. You have to have poor people so that the rich people, every there's enough money in America for everyone above the age of 18 to have a million dollars. There's more than enough money here. But who would do all the low-end things if everybody was rich? Yeah, and I don't so, think we want to go to that type of socialism where, you know, the, the, the communism of everyone's treated equally. I mean, uh, I love the entrepreneurship. I love the, the, the idea that if you work hard, and I, I kind of get away you know, no, you can't be anything you want. You can if you work hard, but you can't just wish, you know, this whole idea of uh, what's that, uh, the thing you just think positive thoughts and you put it out there and good things happen to you. No, even think and grow rich. You know, you, you need to take the action. You need to have a plan. You need to have goals. You need to have a burning desire. You need to have, a, you know, measurements all the way along the way uh, of the secret. That's it. You just don't think good thoughts and suddenly you're rich. So I like the idea that well, if no. you work hard, you'll be rewarded almost, well, almost always. It's not just you have to think it. You have to, your, your thoughts and your actions right. have to be aligned with it. Your being has to be aligned with it. Plan. As I like to say, your heart, your head, and your feet have to be aligned, mm -hmm. and then you'll manifest what you want. Mm -hmm. It's not just think it. If you think it and you sit on the sofa all day, it's not going to happen. Exactly. You got to get out there. So, so yes, the, the traditional monogamous nuclear family has been successful for the past millennia or so. Yes, I agree with you. But humans were practicing something different for many millennials prior to that. And it was successful. I actually believe that when we had a communal based society, that people were more happy, united. And the word community is the word common and unity put together. 
but okay. we're also more warlike. I mean, back in the day when we had communities, when we rolled up against another community that was a different color or spoke a different language, we didn't invite them over for dinner and try and get to know them and, and breed with them. We tried to annihilate them. And chimps act, act, act the same way. They practice war. They protect their territory. Yeah. And when they come up against a strange tribe, they annihilate them. They eat the men, steal the women, and have babies with them. I mean, we're, we forget that we're animals. And we've got a long history of racism when it comes to protecting our own blood, our own tribe, our own way of speaking. And now it's, you know, worked into gods and, and colors of skin and languages and religions and stuff like that. Now but it's for been a long time. football team. Yeah. Don't say nothing <laughs> about the Eagles, man. I like the Falcons. You know, people get in fight. It, you know what? I was doing some research on what's the most damaging concept for humanity and you know what came up on a lot of the articles i read tolerance we don't have a tolerance for differences dude we're the most tolerant that we've ever been now i don't know that it's doing as much good but we are more forgiving and more accepting of ways of being the problem is is that the narrative is is that we're told every day north america is the most and my prime minister does this all the time our institutions are systemically racist what the hell are you talking about we're more tolerant than we've ever been and we're getting better every day i think now it's now you're right there's a shift that's happening to more tolerance but that lack of tolerance to me i can see it a lot where it's the root of a lot of dissension and you know, breakdown because people have a hard time accepting something that's unfamiliar and uncomfortable. We have a hard time being, if you look at movies, mainstream, you know, anytime it's, it, it, I see it in every movie, anytime human beings or people come across something, another life form or a species or something that we don't know, there's two things we need to do. We try to shoot it, kill it, or capture it to study it. Absolutely. That's it. Everything. And if aliens <laughs> came down tomorrow, we'd do the same thing. We're not going to invite them over for dinner. We're going to try and get no. them the hell off the planet. <laughs> yeah, we still do that because we're uncomfortable with something that's not familiar. And that's that's what I'm saying about we're not that's, tolerant. That's we don't in our DNA, anymore. bro. That's, that's been bred into it. I, I yes. mean, it's being bred out of us now because we're more accepting than we've ever been and we get more accepting every day. And I think this this whole intolerance thing is way overplayed, man. Like, like, I mean, if you look, you, told, you know, they said in the States, Joe Biden's trying to tell us that the, the number one greatest threat to America is white supremacy. Dude, there's like 40 of them left. They, you could fit them in a, in a, don't get me wrong, racism exists. But uh, this idea of systemic racism, I think, is a myth. And I also think that there's very few of guys with my skin color going around and going, no, I'm the supreme race. And everyone that doesn't look like me is garbage. That, like, that's so that's 100 years ago. Well, let me say this as a black man. It doesn't exist that way that much. You're, you're right. I would agree with you. It exists on a... How can I explain this word? It's not it's not uh, 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 as overt as, as it used to be. It's more covert. And a lot of people aren't aware of it. Like I could say there are black racists who would say or swear up and down they're not racist or they're not prejudiced is a better word to say. Right. That they don't have anything against people different than them. But I know because I used to be an angry black man. And I used to be like, I don't like white people. The white man is the devil. The white. I, I, I went through that phase mm-hmm. when I was hanging with the hebrew israelites and the five mm, percent yeah. nation okay. and the, you know i i went through that phase right so i believe just as well there are a lot of say white people who just don't feel comfortable around black they're not like racism 
you know, like, again, just blatantly out there racist. But for example, in my industry as an AV technician, because the white guys feel more comfortable with white guys, they're going to give another white guy an opportunity. And that guy would say, I'm not racist. I'm like, yeah, but every time you have to pick someone for the job promotion, you pick a white, you pick a guy that looks like you. You don't think it's meritocracy based? You don't think if, if uh, it doesn't matter who the guy is or what color his skin is, if he outperforms the white guy, I want him on my team because I want my team to be the best, man. It's like, I just want I, talent. I don't care what you look like, to be honest with you. I would, I would say it's this, nepotism is oh, more definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm going to pick my friend, my yeah. buddy. And if all my friends are white, I'm going to keep picking white guys. And you know what? You touch on a great point there, Mike. I appreciate that. Sorry to interrupt. But like I, I come from a very white background in Niagara, you know, all through my elementary school. I had one black friend, Gregory Peart. He was the well, I mean, he was only, you know, two, three and four grades. We were young, but me and Jim Zockley and Doug, um, Doug Irwin. I mean, we we were the best. We were we called it the triangle in school. Even back then, it was like we were sitting at the back of the room and stuff like this. And and I don't have the greatest culture in my life was Colombian. I didn't I didn't get exposed to that until um, high school. Now, we were shit disturbers, me and my buddy, Louis, the Colombian. He lives in Mississauga, one of my greatest friends. And when I think about the best days of my life, his wedding was one of those days. You know what I mean? And that family would sit you at the head of the table, give you the choice cut of meat. And if you came into the table with Louis, you were the king. You get treated like the king. And I wasn't used to that because my name's Fannin. I'm Irish so far back that I don't really consider myself to have culture. So anyways, Gregory Peart was, we had this thing. We'd rub each other's head. And I think it started with Greg because like he had a really tight afro. And we'd go, oh, that luxurious head. But we did it all to each other. It became a thing. So, but it, when in, in, in the States, you know, this, this nurture versus nature type of thing, I've seen it with people that practice racism, usually an older generation that grew up. And when, when the same uh, race or the same religion or the same language does the same thing to you over and over and over and over and over again, you get a bad, you get a, you get, you're looking over your shoulder because they, they beat you up every day. I never was exposed to that kind of stuff. Like I didn't grow up with Jewish people all that much. I'm, and being down here, I'm exposed to more, I've met more Russians and more Jews and more black people and more Americans and more uh, Canadians and, oh, oh shoot. Oh, because you signed in on that other account, it's gonna cut me. So- Because I signed in? Yeah, because it's, it considers it a, a multiple login. So it's gonna, it's gonna cut us at 40 minutes. Where are we now? Yeah, we're gonna, oh, if, um, if you wanna- I did not know that. Do you want right. me to open another room and, oh, consider the, and continue the conversation? I'll just stay live? Yeah, 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 let's, let's do okay. whatever we gotta do. Okay, um, so I'll send you a link uh, on Messenger. I'll end it here and I'll stay live and- uh, Kind of kill time until I get you back on. When are you going to send it? Where are you going to send I'm it? I'm just going to open a new room. And where, what's the best? Facebook or WhatsApp? Uh, send it on Facebook right now okay. because my Facebook is open. Let's do that now. Um, and we got nine minutes. I'm, my Facebook is open on Messenger. Perfect. All right, homie. Let's do that. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. So, sorry about that. I should have known that Mikey logging in with a different uh, account was going to trigger that. So let's do this. I'm going to open a new room. Start. Uh, bear with me here, kids. 
Nah, we had a good conversation going there. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up. I think I've got recording in progress. Enough time with Mike that he's going to be okay. And uh, participants invite. Look at me doing this on the fly. What a pro! Copy invitation. Locker. I better get rid of this so you don't see our private conversations. Not that there's anything that I'm afraid of you seeing there. Um, but with being fair to Mike, I wouldn't do that to him. So anyways, thanks for your patience. Mikey will be right back. I met Mike down here in Dominican Republic, and um, he sat in on a ball-busting session where we were drinking with uh, Davey from Man Manchester, who's become a good friend of mine. Uh, oops, there we go. Huh? I didn't give too much away. Um, and then it was about 15 minutes into the conversation when he sat down with my ball-busting friends, which I enjoy. I'm a, I'm a guy's guy, as most of you know that are watching, that know me. Um, and then Mike sat down and I'm like, dude, did you take the landmark forum? He says, yeah, dude, I'm a wisdom instructor. I took the whole curriculum. I've done the landmark forum. I don't know how many times he said many times. And we're going to hit on that next probably, but it's been a good conversation touching on religion and let's get my video up. There's my camera. I'm waiting for Blocker to get back in. Okay, that's up. I just figured I wouldn't break the stream so that I've got it all in one place. So maybe I'll edit this out later. But uh, no, I'm not going to edit anything out. But my, my Zoom meeting's converting, but I don't usually use those videos. So thanks to the people that are still on board. If you've got a question for Mike, you can put it in the comments section. It doesn't matter where you are. I will get it and see it on the screen. And if I think it's uh, worthy, I'll ask him your question. All right. Let me see where we're at here. See if he's gotten my message. Yeah, he's gone. So, yeah, he should be back anytime, so. Anyways, I met Mike down here in Dominican Republic at my uh, my local, George's Oasis Bar. And George is uh, another guy that's become a good friend of mine. He was, uh, I always get this incorrect, but Russian via Brazil, jumped a ship when he was 17 years old in New York City, went down to Philadelphia, then went to Vietnam and came back. And for many years he lived in the United States. And then uh, he's been down here for 16 or 17 years. So we're at, we're at George's. And I got to know Mike a little bit. And then uh, invited him on the show. And I knew he'd be a great guest because of his training in Landmark. So hopefully he jumps in soon. I don't see a message from him, so there he is. Ding dong. See, that's good. I don't need to kill much more time. All right. Sorry about that, man. I did not uh, know. Uh, totally that. on my. That's. I should have. I should have realized when you did a multiple login. I don't have. I don't. I don't have a paid account with Zoom. So as soon as you have two 
or more than one login, then it considers it a multiple, and then it cuts you up forty minutes. So. Let me know if we. I have a paid account. I would have easily yeah. let you do mine. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, so that maybe that's a great segue into a new conversation. I do want to get back to Landmark, but tell us about the uh, podcast. I saw your little bit of a provocative post the other day. Have you ever faked an orgasm? I'm like, ooh, it's gross. <laughs> so I guess you've never faked one, huh? <laughs> I don't. I think it's pretty difficult to fake one. But I mean... Not if you have a condom on. I could see a very limited situation, and I've never been in this situation very long because I'm normally in a long-term relationship. I just don't like it. I have no desire to play the field. I love having a woman. I love being her man. I love being loyal. I love trying to build a life with someone, and I don't really... I'm not into sex with someone that I don't care about that actually I'm not in love with. I'd love to have that connection with people. I'm not saying I've never had casual sex far from it, um, but it's just not something that lights me up or that gratifies me. It does, you know, meaningless um, casual sex just doesn't fill me up. And I'm, I'm glad for that because I could use it as a drug. Right. And I, you know, I've got enough drugs that I need to, you know, control that I've been using recreationally for a long time. And, you know, it's been a test down here because the, the, um, the rums like heroin, man. I mean, you know, the way they pour drinks down at George's, man, I can only have four of those and I'm toast the next day. Yeah. So two and I'm, yeah, I'm hanging over. Yeah. yeah. I've had, so, uh, I've uh, had so, to quit on that stuff. So anyway. I, I'll, I'll say this. So the, 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 uh, video podcast that you're referring to, it's a thing that I do every Wednesday at 9 p.m. It's called Love, Sex, and Life Hacks. And so I'm going to tell you the source of creating that. Um, and this ties into a conversation we had earlier. Growing up in the Christian church and having all those Christian beliefs and doctrines like embedded into me, drilled into me, um, when I started to explore new you know, ways of being around sexuality, for example, uh, or really start getting into that world. Like my first girlfriend, we were having all this great sex, and she was bisexual, right? I really started feeling bad because my pastor in the men's group I was in was at church was telling me not to have sex before marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I'm living with this beautiful woman who loves it, who we're having, like, I'm having outer body experience sex. And I go to church and they're going, you're wrong, you're a sinner. <laughs> and I'm going, hold on, God made me, God made sex. This shit feels good. How am I the bad person here? Uh, right? Yeah. So it started bothering me so much. Dude, I went to therapy. No way. I, I was calling because I was feeling really bad, all this guilt and shame because mm. I was loving the sex and I tried to tell my girlfriend to move out. And we're having, I mean, I went through this. Wow. Anyway, after, after I finally came to terms with it and started doing all this research and reading it, I realized hold on, there's nothing wrong with me. The church is trying to control my sexuality. And that was the beginning of my quest for personal development and knowledge because I was like, these people had me thinking I was crazy, had me really going through some mental stuff. Okay. So I start interviewing people and talking to people. And here's what I discovered. So many of us were dealing with issues and feel that way around two subjects, sex and God. Those were the two areas because they didn't merge. That people couldn't see how they could 
merge and bring these together. So, so many people had um, issues around sex and God. I actually was going to actually originally call the uh, podcast Sex and God, but I changed it to Love, Sex and Life Hacks, right? So the reason why I decided to do this was because I realized there's a lot of people suffering from what they've been indoctrinated to believe around love and sex. And there's not a lot of thorough education around that. So I started to say at first, let me just create a form and a platform where people can come and speak openly and freely about whatever they're dealing with around sex and love and not feel judged. So that was the origin of why I created it. Nice. It feels like a, it sounds like a supportive environment where you can be yourself and be vulnerable. And, you know, I said to this, the Matea Murda the other day, a good Christian girl and, um, you know, she works at the UN on, on women's issues and whatnot. And there's nothing sexier. And I say that in, in the worldly sense of, um, being vulnerable of telling people, listen, I'm a loser and I struggle. And here's what I struggle with. And this is what I need help with. Or, you know, in my case, in my men's group, this is what I need prayer with. Or regardless of whether it's Christian-based or not, supportive environments where you can really open up is the most beneficial place that you can be, where you are accepted for exactly who you are. You know, you know what I get reminded of in my men's group all the time? Now, I remember I remember this one time I confessed to my, my guys. And again, my men's group is Christian-based. You're welcome to come out if you like. 7.30 Thursdays, it's on Zoom. I came to the church one day and I said, guys, I prayed to God the other day. I'm like, God, if you're there. And I went, oh, what? What? Like, I grew up Christian. I've always believed in God. Well, you know, I was kind of indoctrinated into the faith, but I've always believed, you know, through my faith that again was forced on me as a child, I guess, if you want to look at that that way. But I've I've chosen again as an adult to buy into the idea that, yeah, there is a a God and I want to get to know him more and more. And I was so mortified that I actually prayed the words, God, if you're there, because what kind of Christian doesn't, is unsure about if God's there or not. And my guys basically said to me, Jimmy, this is what they always say, and this this is what resets me. You're not special. Not from yeah. the, not from the like they get that I'm special. They're, we're all special, but in the context of we all doubt, we mm-hmm. all slip, and we all wonder, and we yes. all say, "Hey, are you really there?" Or if you're there, or like you know, we all do that. So, yes. and I love that as far as. This is how my men support me by going, Jimmy, you're not special. We all do that. Like, stop it. Like, you're okay. Like, because I thought, I thought this is the greatest sin you could commit is saying, God, if you're there. Like, I was, I was mortified. And I confessed it. And they're like, nah, come on. That's nothing. You're good. <laughs> you know? Oh, I, I've done that too. And, um, and, and, and let me address something you said. You are absolutely right about the power of vulnerability and connecting to people. It's through vulnerability that we have access to the, to the greatest depths of love and connection. Like you have to take your mask off. Amen. Amen. And until you take your mask off, how can somebody love Jim Fannin 
for Jim Fannin if they don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. No, uh, and, and you know, that I have no problem being vulnerable in an intimate relationship with my partner. What I do have a problem with is taking off my mask when I go out into public and even when I do this show and people think I'm untouchable. And you know, you know what I hear all the time, Mike, and you might get this too. You know what I like about you is you just don't give a fuck what people think, if I can use the language. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, here's, the, here's the bottom line. The truth of the matter is I'm deeply sensitive. I do care what other people think. I may be more courageous in the standpoint that I'm more open about my opinion. I don't think they're, they're opinions and all that they say about opinions. I'm not saying that mine's any more worthy than anybody else's, but I take unpopular stances. I like to have good conversations like this with guys that don't, I, I don't agree with on some level and still have a rational discussion. I wish we could do that more right now because the left and the right are more divided than they've ever been. And this is, I was on a quest for this, for the, the, trying to solve this issue. Why is the left and right further away than they ever have been and more hateful towards each other? Men and women, I feel, are the same. The chasm between us is wider and deeper than it's ever been. And then I went, wait a second. No, we've, been more divided in other periods of time where men and women in the left and right like we actually killed each other in way more uh, uh, destructive ways than just you know gangs on streets and criminals and stuff like that like I mean it's just like we have been way more we had a civil war for crying out loud maybe we're headed towards another one but you know it was another lie that I bought into and I was trying to solve the reason of why we've been more divided when no we're not when you really look at history we're doing okay, man. So anyways, I'm going around yeah. in circles. Now. So, so I'm going to go back to where we, where this conversation started when we came back about the, the, I'm still talking about the vulnerability and being connected and how I got to the love and the love life sex and, you know, how the, my religious beliefs were the catalyst for that. Um, so, so I have a question for you. So, what do you think is the number one reason why religions around the world praise God? What's the thing that, that people thank God for the most? Sorry, brother. I was just filling my water. What was that question again? What's the thing that religions all over the world thank God for? What's the number one thing religions thank God for? They acknowledge him for. I don't know. Life. Okay. Yeah. They always say, thank you for giving us life. Thank you right. for, we appre- you know, you gave us life and we appreciate that. Okay. okay. Yeah. How do human beings create life? Through sex. Exactly. So it's through sex that we are the closest to being God-like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is when we are God. We are generating life and we become God's when we have sex. So it didn't make sense to me that the church would tell us that sex was bad. Every single person on this planet, unless you're a test tube baby, you got here through an act of sex. That's how we get here. And if you look at every living organisms on the planet, there are some, you know, a uh, 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 lower forms of organisms that don't have to, uh, have a, a you know a, a male and female to to reproduce there's some that are asexual that reproduce you know but the majority of the life forms out there has genders and they they come together and they produce life right so when i started looking at that i'm like okay 
sex isn't bad. And here's what my belief is. A lot of the things that in our society that we dub are classified under the umbrella of sexuality are actually spirituality. And the church, the powers that be, they misclassified it. They said, look, we want to take this thing that sex is a spiritual thing, and we want to call it a sexual thing because we can control. People will allow us to have more say and control over their sexuality than over their spiritual um, choices. Okay. So there hasn't been a war started about sexual choice and sexual preference, but people start wars about religion, about your spiritual belief. So let's reclassify this because if you look at a lot of the early religions, pre-Christianity, pre-Islam and all that, sex, especially a lot of the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, you know, the old, old, uh, I can't find the right word. I'm sorry. The words that come to my mind, primitive. but primitive uh, cultures, sex was a huge part of their religion, huge part of it. it. Paganism, for example, oh my God, if you read the stuff that pagans used to do, they had orgies on Christmas, okay? It was all about the sex, okay? Because they believed that it was a spiritual thing. So when I really got that and understood that, it changed my view about sexuality. And I realized, hey, that's what we're all here from. So I no longer see it as this bad, sinful thing. I see it as, I no longer even call it sexual energy. I call it life force. It is because what's underneath it is when I see a woman, I have this innate desire in me to produce life. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Not about sex. I want to produce some life. Yeah, hey, you want to produce some life for me? Let's <laughs> let your life force and my life force get together. And let's make some more life. I've been producing life, man. Uh, and I just want to clarify, you know, sex ain't bad the church just wants you to have it with one woman and i stress woman you know they want you to be loyal and i think there's a lot of value in being loyal to one woman and uh you know my concern is that that we've devalued you know the idea of matrimony we've devalued god religion whatever it is um we've devalued the traditional family nuclear family the family home and all that goes along with it, and I think we're paying, I know we're paying the price for it, man. We've never been this mixed up and confused and biologically possessed, or ideologically possessed. I mean, Disney is refusing to acknowledge man and woman now. Disney is saying that we, we need to have 50% of the care. You know, what's the, what's the population of gay people? 5% tops, transgender, less than half a percent, and suddenly, we're kowtowing to these really radical minority groups that have a big voice, but a low population, and we're bending over backwards for it. The, the, you know, the, the traditional, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with tradition. So I, I just, I start out by saying, no, sex ain't bad. And I think there's a lot of value in having it with one woman that you love and care about and building a life with, and we're gonna procreate and have children and raise well, those children with. I don't think it's necessarily just a conversation about sex as much as it is a conversation about inclusion. Because if you look at the bigger conversation, they're saying we want to include and allow everyone, no matter what your view, your gender, your race, to have a space and a say, which is, again, what I'm trying to create around my love 
sex and life hacks is and to dude, just like I, I'm on your side and I think society is on your side. Nobody cares with who you love, how you live. Now, when it starts affecting a society, I think we have some grave concerns, but I don't care if you want me to call you Sally and dress up. But if you want me to say that you're now a girl, I'm going to say, dude, you're born a boy. You can't just switch your sex like that. And now we're putting our children on puberty blockers. They can't get a tattoo for crying out loud till they're 16, but we're cutting their genitalia off and putting them on hormone. Like, I mean, th this has gone to a point like I don't care. I really don't care who you love. If you're gay or you want to identify as a woman, it doesn't affect my life. I like I truly don't care. Just leave me the fuck alone. Don't tell him. Don't try coming for my kids because at five years old, he says, I'm a girl. And then if you don't acknowledge he's a girl, then they're going to take your kids from him. Now I got a fucking problem with it. And you start doing well, sexy you know, time, you know, story time, uh, transgender story time with my kids in kindergarten and whatnot. And this whole don't right. say gay bill. Like, they've just twisted it all, man. And I think we're paying the price for it. So I, I'm going to tell you where what I heard or it's, I read something that shifted my view around the whole gender conversation. <laughs> was when I got present to how, if I see someone who was born with some type of physical deficiency, you know, they're born with spina bifida, or they're born with, you know, one leg, or they're blind or whatever, you know, they have one, you know, they can't hear their death. We have empathy and compassion for that individual because in the process of when they were developing in their mother's womb, somehow they didn't develop fully. Agreed. And Agreed. they came out with this deficiency, right? Well, to some degree, someone explained it to me this way, that homosexuality or these alternative sexual expressions could be a result of that, that this person didn't develop fully in that area, hormonally or somewhere. And so they come out, they have the outer shell of a man, but their interior, they feel like they're still a woman. They didn't cross over all the way, right? Yeah, and I, it popped for me, I'm like, oh, wow. I get it because I've got nipples and I don't know if you know this, all life begins in a female. Everybody's born a female in the beginning and then you become a male in the, I don't know, somewhere three weeks into the first trimester or something like that. I remember learning this in my science class. Everybody's born female. Okay. I mean, not born. They start out as a female. So I thought, wow, that makes sense. It's scientifically proven. Some people just don't develop in that area. So why can't we have compassion and empathy for these individuals and not say they're wrong or they're bad at their center, just say they just didn't develop properly. And there's nothing wrong with that, no more than it's wrong with I'm blind. My vision didn't develop I think there's properly. A lot, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying there, but then you'll have the lefties that say, no, I, don't take pity on me. I'm not different. Well, you are different because 95% of the population is heterosexual. Like that's what normal is. Now, if you're different, now oh. I'm not going to take sympathy on somebody because they're gay. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice. But I think you're born gay. Like I mean, we have gay in in and yeah. animals, all type of animals. It's, it's, dolphins it's both. I think it's both. So so let me say this: one of the greatest privileges in the world. Matter of fact, I think the greatest privileges in the world is to be your fully self-expressed self and be loved and accepted. Very few people reach that state where they can be themselves and have everyone love and accept them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So why, if you get, yeah, that's, that's bliss. I've got a little bit of, uh, you know, 
love your neighbor or your enemy as yourself. What the problem is, we don't love ourselves these days. We don't Bingo. practice self-love, so it's impossible for us to love another. You know, We're stuck right. in ego, so, judgment, and pride all the time. Which is why I'm saying, if you ever ascend to that state where you love yourself, fully express yourself authentically and truly, and have people love you, I would say less than 1% of the people on this planet actually get there, okay? My so God. I'm working on getting to that place, right? Mm -hmm. And as you said, it starts with loving myself, accepting myself, forgiving myself, and then I can do that for other people and say, hey, I'm gonna be me, right? So in, in our world, very few people are afraid, I mean, or have the courage to be themselves. So most of us walk around with a mask, pretending to display I would say the average person displays maybe at least half, over half of the qualities and personality traits they display are for other people. They're not who they Absolutely. really are. They're pretending the because world. they want to be accepted by their peer group, whatever their peer group is. You know, um, exile and being ostracized is one of the worst things for humans because Absolutely. we are communal creatures. We're, we're very uh, gregarious. We have to be connected. We need that, okay? And anytime you are you know, exile from your group or your community. It feels horrible. So people will play whatever game they have to play to be accepted in their tribe and their group, you know? Oh, everybody else is doing this? I'm gonna do that, okay? What we're shifting to is we're going to where people are allowing people to be more of who they are, individuals, and say, be yourself, be your full self-expressed self, and we will accept you. And there's a slow progression to that. And part of what I do in my coaching is that I promote that because until you get that, you will never truly experience happiness because you're going to spend all your time with a background conversation of, I don't want those people to not like me. So if I truly express myself, people aren't going to like me. Okay. So most of us do that. And, and that's what I'm trying to support that conversation of how can I be me? Mike Block, I want to be me. You know, on my Facebook page, for example, I'm not the best typist, man. I do typos all. I'll do posts when I'm riding in a car driving, and it'll be a typo. You know so, what? You, you know, made a typo, I'm not going to read You know like, what people forget? Sorry for interrupting. Well, I'm not sorry. I'm going to interrupt. Um, and that's another thing I get from Landmark. Sorry means that sorry is a sorry way of being. And I stop saying sorry until I'm ready to take responsibility and create a new way of being. But uh, yeah. we forget. And I remind people constantly, my Facebook account is not human. My Twitter account is not a human being. Yeah, it's run by a human. But you really think I go around saying the things I say on social media? Like, no, it's not a human. Stop treating it like it is. It's provocative. It's a mask to a certain extent. It's something I don't, I very seldom post anything personal, pictures or otherwise, or how I'm feeling or anything. I'm always political because I'm driving a narrative. I want, you know, I've, I just had this, this um, epiphany today, if you could call it that. I'm walking up the hill, and I usually get these these clear these moments of clarity. A lot of times in the shower when you're doing robotic things, and you get these creative flashes. Sometimes it's on the toilet. You know, you're doing a very mechanical thing, and your your mind is open. Today, I realized walking up the hill, I'm like, what? Because I think that my social media is a sickness for me. It it's it's making me unwell. When I go and I look at other people's feeds, I compare and I I judge myself mostly, and then I get angry that somebody could be so stupid. And so ego, judgment, and pride is all in play there. And it's really an unhealthy. It has been, 
and the way I'm using it has become unhealthy for me. And I've, I've said to myself today, what is my under, and I think I was, I was thinking about you actually, because I was going to ask you, what is your underlying commitment for your social media? And then I asked myself the same question and I realized that my underlying com- commitment to social media is to drag people down to my level. And my level is anger. My level is I'm pissed off that people think that women get paid less than men do for doing the same job. No, that's a myth that started by, with Obama. And I don't want to get into that so much. But I truly thought to myself, I'm like, yeah, my, my underlying commitment for social media is to drag people into a place of anger like I am because I think they should be angry because of what Disney's doing and what they're doing to our children and the way they've killed God and all these type of things. And again, that's just my value system coming out. I'm no better than anyone else, but this whole idea of self-love and everything, I think it comes full circle. And social media is making us sick, man. I think it's actually a sickness for a lot of us, and it's leading us to hell. It's leading us to depression and a whole... Now, if you use so, it in a healthy fashion, that's a, something different, so... So I'll give you... I'll answer your question this way. I used to cry. I remember the first time I got the concept of war. I was around eight years old. And I remember I saw these uh, jets fly over my head, and I was asking my, I don't know, my grandma or whoever it was about what were those airplanes. And they said they were jet. And they explained it to me. And that conversation led to war, right? Like these are there, so when we have war, okay. and that I, I literally started crying. Wow. In that moment, I'm like, we have airplanes that go kill people and kill kids. And I was like, who would create such a th- like? That's horrible. Like, why do we have? planes to kill people like why do we even have that right Right. so it was ever since then i was like i don't understand this whole war thing right so then i've always wanted to do something to make a difference in the world to like eradicate war to end suffering in the world like i want to do that so i tried all these different methods to 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 fulfill on this agenda to alleviate suffering in the world and bring more love to the world right what i came up against was this i got so much resistance because people were so indoctrinated and programmed by whatever they believe that they couldn't even hear the conversations I was, couldn't even hear it, right? And they, they were resistant to it. So then I said, okay, I have to wake people up first before I introduce them to this new paradigm, this new shift. I got to even wake them up. You know, it's like the matrix, the blue pill, the red pill, right? So what I started realizing was the process of having people become more aware is to have them think and I have to practice, people have to practice thinking. Most people don't want to think. We want everything spelled out for us, explained for us. So I started going, what can I do to make people practice thinking? So I started posting provocative questions on Facebook. I don't even care what you answer. Mm-hmm. It's just, I want to get people into thinking outside the box, thinking, of, and, and I'm great at it. I'm, and now, and that's also why I'm a good coach because I'll have you think something you never thought before. I'll plant that seed and you go, hmm, I never thought about that. And then once I get them in the exercise of thinking, then I can introduce new thoughts. But until you develop thinking, because it's not, it's not just what you think, it's how you think. I have to alter how you think so that you can start even opening up to the possibility of a new thought process. Okay. So the intention of my social media is to have people practice thinking outside their comfort zone, outside of the norm, so that I or you or whoever can introduce new paradigms and new beliefs so that we can ultimately get to a world 
you know, mm-hmm. I think in some ways we live in a dystopia and I want to create a utopia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the only way we're going to get that is we have to really look at the, the ideologies, the beliefs and the concepts that we've adapted to go, this doesn't even make sense. Like, why are we doing this? I think that's one of the most gratifying things we can feel as a human, at least for guys like us, uh, because I think we're similar in this way. And I've run 10 elections as mostly a Green Party candidate before the left went absolutely mad. And now I'm kind of center right. Um, But opening up people to a conversation that didn't exist before they heard me. So as a Green Party candidate, nobody was talking about proportional representation or a carbon fee and dividend or taxing pollution or any of this kind of thing until I hit the stage. And I think similarly with my social media, then I get that's kind of my underlying commitment is the same is to create a conversation that didn't exist or a possibility that didn't exist in you, the viewer before you listen to, and this is why I do these interviews because I'm hoping that somebody will go, you know what, dude, even if it's 10 years from now, I meet them on a beach across the world and they go, you know what? I recognize you now. I remember Mike blocker. That guy changed my life. He said this one thing, and sometimes it's only one thing, and this is the part of being vulnerable that is so powerful. He said this, and it changed my way of thinking. It changed my life forever, and that'll lead us to, uh, and you can clean up on the conversation if you want, but I want to I get into um, you know, the concepts of landmark because I think they're wildly uh, powerful. I always encourage people to go, and now they do it online, I guess, because of COVID, which is, I don't know how you do the, the Landmark Forum online, but for me, there was two episodes where I was broken and, and rebuilt in that room. And one was the closeness exercise. I think it might have been in the advanced course. And they make you stand on a line toe-to-toe, and you look mm-hmm. into someone's eyes and you're instructed, you, you know, do what you want. But the idea is just to look into their eyes without breaking contact. And I had this guy, I think his name was Desmond. He was a black guy and he had, he was my height. He was a beautiful, like I would say he was Nigerian or something, like a really good looking guy. But um, he had these eyes that were crystal hazel. Like they look like fire. Like, I mean, they looked almost demonic. Like, you know what I mean? Like they were, I've never seen eyes like this before. And I was toe to toe with this guy. And, you know, they say, you know, people cry and they laugh. And I think you're encouraged to do that, but mainly you're just supposed to stay motionless and expressionless and just be with the person, Mm -hmm. right? It's called the be with exercise. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, um, afterwards and i you know i probably still got him on my phone we used to connect all the time because this man helped me with something i don't know what it was just just his perception because he said to me after we talked about it he said you know what i could feel your wall and i couldn't get in and he said at some point it dissolved and you gave up and you let me in and I could see your soul. I was inside your body with my being. I was in you and it fucking broke me because I remember exactly the time he was talking about. I finally submitted and gave up and took the wall down and I let him in and it was one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced and that's why, you know, Landmark doesn't need to do any marketing because they got guys like me and you that go out there and uh, profess the knowledge that it gives you like if you could make 
if you could bring someone to that experience and have them change everything about their lives, the way they look at it, and you know, they what do they call them? The uh, the concepts, um, uh, the key distinctions, distinctions. Yeah, the dis- I mean, there's got to be hundreds of them in in the curriculum, right? That was one that broke me, and the other one was the the uh, absurdness of writing down what you want to work on. They go, okay, take this problem. That you, what's the biggest problem for you right now? And you write and you write and they say, and write more and, and elaborate and make it silly. Like, but just to like go out uh, outside the box with how this has really ruined your life. Maybe it's about your mother. She's a narcissist. And you just write and you write and you write and you write and you write. And then, and, and I don't want to play landmark, junior landmark form leader here, but then they have you read it to a partner and you look them in the eye and you read your notes and you read it over and over and over and over and over and over and over to the point where mm-hmm. you can't recognize the handwriting and it sounds like a comedy sketch and you can't believe that you wrote all this bullshit down about your problem and it's all a lie. Story. They disappear. Disip- yeah, they disappear it in that moment and uh, I've never experienced anything like it because in that moment, the whole room was transformed with the biggest problem and then to the point that you don't even recognize your own handwriting, let alone that you wrote this. Like you actually felt this. When you're writing it down, you think it's all valid. And then after you speak it to the world 15 times over and over until your partner's so like, your partner is probably helping you get to a point of like, you are so full of shit right now. It's unbelievable. And then you get it for yourself (laughs) that it's all a big lie. It's a story you created for yourself. And you mentioned it, you know, I'll use the analogy of the kid that's playing in, in paradise, right? He's in the sprinkler in his front lawn. And, uh, you know, I think I had a hard time getting to one of these points of my life that changed everything for me. I, I do know where it happened in adolescence but the kid that's in the sprinkler, it's paradise. And one day he's in paradise and his leg goes on fire. Like not literally, but a shooting pain goes up his leg. He doesn't know what the hell's happened, but paradise has been broken and he's bad. He makes a decision. He did something wrong. He's a bad boy and he gets stung by a bee. And his mother comes over, consoles him, but he never goes back into that sprinkler without shoes on. And then for the rest of his life, he goes tiptoeing through life with his slippers on, being careful because he's bad. And you touched on it nicely. And this is why I was really looking forward to this conversation, because you can help someone get to the point of pain where they made this decision and disappear for them. And what is more... What is more gratifying than helping somebody disappear a fear that they've been living for 50 years about being careful because you were bad because you got stung yeah. in the sprinkler? So I'm going to address that. You you said, and I, and I love what you said because I live, I live for those moments when I can say something that changed people's life. One of, the, one of the best feelings ever is when people come to me and say, hey, Mike, you said something to me two years ago and I never forget it and it changed my life. I have that happen a lot and I love that, right? So I want to say two things. You said this, this is thing, something that I took from Landmark that really I love and I live into this on a regular basis. There's what we know, we know, and you understand that. There's what we know, we don't know, and we know that and we can go get the knowledge and understand that. But the magic, the big breakthroughs, the, the life-changing paradigm shifts happen when you discover what you didn't know, you didn't know, when, you know, there's things you don't know, you don't know, right. That's the magic. So my job 
is to take people to that world, to that place of having them discover something they didn't know they didn't know. And they go, oh, I never even knew I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And then they're shifted, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to throw this out there. And you you would you address this. A lot of us are what I call emotional jukeboxes, okay? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by emotional jukebox is someone will come up and say something or do something or something we see on social media, right? Right. And it's like somebody walked up to 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 say you, Jim, you see someone on social media, and it's like they put a quarter in you and then they hit J5 and you display some emotion, right? right. It's like, whoa, that person got me. And when we you give away we, all your power immediately because we say that person did something to me so what i explained to them i said you're being an emotional jukebox right now and what you have to realize is that the song that is playing in your jukebox you cut that record you wrote that record you put that record in jukebox and put a number they didn't do that so you have to change that record so when they come back to the jukebox and put a quarter in a different record plays or another way i explain it is People may push your buttons, but they didn't install the button. Right. You did. You installed that button. Uh-huh. And then you get mad at them for pushing it. Well, then remove the goddamn button and they right. can't push it. They can't push a button that's not there. It goes back to what we suffer from is a lack of personal responsibility. And that's what the, you know, one Here thing you really learn in Landmark is, is personal integrity. You know, if you show up, and I'm not late anymore. I remember the first time. I was stood up at a real estate appointment. This was probably before I took Landmark. And I said, I will never, because I was burning mad. It's 20 minutes past the deadline and, and, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm feeling disrespected. And I said, I'll never make someone, I'll never disrespect anyone like this again. And then Landmark helped me with the personal integrity and the personal responsibility. It's so easy. You know, right. I love those people in my life that say, yeah, no, I'm late for everything. Well, not with me, you're not, because you're not going to make me late because I get a 12 minute window now and I'm out. I'm done. You have to book another appointment and now your integrity is broken with me. You know what I mean? So this lack of personal responsibility, it's someone else's fault. Oh, it's the kids. And, and, you know, it was traffic and everything. And, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. No, you didn't leave early enough because if I told you there was a million bucks on this chair and you had to be on time, you'd be a half an hour early. You're not going to risk that. You know, so it's just you didn't make it important enough. Right. And so you're right. It's all about like people not wanting to be responsible for their triggers and get that you installed this trigger or this button and it's your responsibility to eliminate that to change that so that you don't have to react but you can respond to stimuli out there you respond in a way that's aligned with your core values and who you say you are and what you're up to in the world you don't react to it like what you did this and look i'm a coach and i'm good and i see another people like that but even i suffer from it sometimes myself where i react and it's particularly in intimate relationships so one big thing i want you to get and jim and everybody to get this relationships intimate relationships are one of the best things that you can be in because these are the places that are going to push your buttons and trigger you, which provide you with the opportunities to grow and develop yourself. So a lot of people avoid intimate relationships because of that. So when somebody hits that button, it's perfect because they just exposed a weak spot in you. And we normally get mad. You just exposed my weakness. I'm upset at you. You just had my mask fall off. My mask fell off just now. Perfect. Let's take a look at that. Let's dig down that road and see why and see what's there versus blaming the other person for it. That's over there with you. Whenever I get upset, it's me. 
That's my stuff. It's not the other person, you know? So take these opportunities and be grateful for them that this person did put push your button. And now that you can see this as an opportunity to grow and work on yourself, don't run from it. And don't resist, embrace. Go from resistance to embrace. And when you take a situation that you normally resisted and you embrace it, you'll transform it. But you got to embrace it. I've been thinking this, I think, since we met and I found out you're a coach. I think you'd be a perfect uh, accountability partner or coach for me because we speak the same language. And I want to keep you on time. We're coming up on an hour and a half. I appreciate your time, your generosity. I love you, brother. Um, Love you too, man. I I appreciate you. One day I'll be able to express as our relationship grows and deepens how much this and your friendship means to me. Uh, at the appropriate time, but uh, just closing thoughts on the way out. Anything you want to say to wrap up? Because, like I said, I want to I want to keep you on time. We're almost an hour. No, half. No, uh, we'll wrap up and say you know that I am a life coach, and I'm always looking for uh, the option to support more people in my coaching. I've got some programs coming up. One that I'm going to be launching probably by the end of of this month called Best Love Now, which I'm showing people how to you know, create loving, sustainable, healthy relationships. I have a book club that I'm going to be also launching. We're going to do the human code. Uh, I just got all this stuff that I'm creating all with the intention on supporting people and living their best life now, having love of their life, creating great relationships. And so I'm just open. My first, if you, if anyone who's listening to this wants to have a, my first coaching call is always free. I do a discovery call. You can go on my website, thechrysaliscoaching.com and book a free discovery call with me. I love supporting people. This is my life purpose. This is my passion. It's what I do. I mean, to be honest, it's my job and I make money, but sometimes I do it for free because I just love it. Nice. So that's what I'm here to do. And I can't, I can't not do what I'm here to do. Well, I saw a complete shift in you there when you said, I love it. Your state completely changed. And there's something really gratifying about seeing somebody that's genuinely like in the place that they're supposed to be. And I feel like you're there, brother. And uh, I'm just grateful to have met you. Um, I don't know. Are you got plans to come back? You staying in Atlanta or what's going on? No, no. I, I came here to stick my foot in the in the pool of my old job as an AV technician. Okay. A friend of mine called me and he had like three weeks of work doing the stuff I love to do, which is LED walls, video walls. We're, we're actually building one of the biggest ones ever. And, and I was like, yeah, I'll take that job. And then I get to come back and see friends and family. Nice. So I, I came back for that. I'll be back in DR in about two weeks. Nice. I can't wait for that, brother. Amen. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna I'll meet you at George's, man. All right, we'll, my brother. We'll have a drink and we'll keep this conversation going. Okay. And uh yeah, I look forward to the next time we speak and I'd love to pick up on this again. Uh and maybe I'll jump in. You know, I love the idea and I see you as a great leader in this. It's like my men's group is just an open forum. Yes, it's based in Christianity. Yeah, it, you know, scripture answers it here and there, but lots of times we go the whole hour or sometimes we go overtime with the guys after the official meeting's over and it's just a conversation. It's just a place to be yourself where you get supported. And one guy says one thing, it triggers another guy's thought and he says something and one guy, and it's just a, it's an organic conversation that goes around. And I think that's really cool when you got 10 or 15 people and they're all taking turns sharing what they got out of the conversation and how it's moved. I I love those moments and what I'm a request of, and you don't have to, 
and I just said, I had a great time on this talk and this call. And I felt like I didn't talk as much as I would love to about who I am as a coach. Like I didn't get to do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So if down the line, you know, a month or two, however it turns out where you're like, you know what? I need someone to interview. Let's do it. I would love to come back on and, 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 and just, you know, uh, express myself more as a coach, because I think that would where I could really make a difference. Yeah. And I think, you know, everything happens for a reason and we built a good primer for like, I think it, it, you know, they always say they don't care what you know until they know what they care. And this is, this is a good foundation for the next conversation that we have. That's maybe more point specific on you as a coach. So yeah, let's do that. Gratitude and blessing, my brother. Have a great day, and I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. I'm here, and anything I can do, if you ever need any support with anything, man, I'm available. All right. I'll be touching you up probably in a couple All right. hours. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right. Do that. All, All right. right. Have a great one. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye. Mike Blocker, if you need him. Wow. That was, I was really looking forward to that conversation and it did not disappoint. The links are in the show description. There's a short bio in the short, in the short, there's a short bio and the links in the show description down below, wherever you're watching it. I appreciate your time for coming in. Um, Restream. What the hell? Restream went to a paid program now for all of you people that I sent over to Restream telling you that you can broadcast to five platforms at once. Those platforms are now two. And if you want your five platforms, you're going to pay $19 American a month. I found that out the hard way today when I went to log in and I told Mikey we'd be on five platforms and Restream changed the free plan to two platforms. So I got another 30 days. Peace, love, hug your neighbor, love your enemy, and whatever you do, take that damn diaper off your face. I love you. I'm out.